This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. Another episode this week. It's always great to be with you. Thanks for subscribing. This is your first time. Thanks for listening in, and I hope you're able to find here something that you're not able to find anywhere else, Uh, a place that you can find some hope, a place that uh, brings you the narrative and the thoughts of a patriotic American Muslim who loves his faith, loves his country, and believes that radical Islam is but a byproduct of political Islam, and that political Islam is the greatest threat to our security, to our sovereignty as Americans of today, and that it's only us Muslims that can reform this. And that's why we call this program Reform This. Every week there's stories that are on the headlines, that are on the conversations of America and in the West that I think can be looked through the lens of reform and the lens of modernity, and American Muslims should take the opportunity to use them to teach our children and to teach our families not only the beauty of what this country brings, but the responsibility we have to give back and the responsibility we have to use these teaching moments as opportunities to change the mindset, the mentality that brought us to the paralysis that we're in today. Now, this week, what I wanted to open with is to use a that has uh, been brought to the conversation of the New York Times and a story about a family that was paying attention to the debates and woke up their seven-year-old to find that she, the following day, had a nightmare. Now, before we get into the political dynamics, you can only guess what that is. Let me first say that anyone who's been following my work knows that I'm no Trump supporter, that I am someone for uh, various reasons, stepped away from that, um, had to resign from the convention when I knew it was going to not be contested, and ultimately have now 
not made an endorsement. I would never vote for a Democrat and will not vote for Hillary, uh, but also will not endorse and will not vote for Mr. Trump and will ultimately, as a personal decision, probably be leaving that blank. But having said that, I think it's important to say that in that this narrative from the New York Times, I will critique not in defense of Mr. Trump, but in defense of the fact that we Muslims can no longer allow the left to portray us as victims, allow the left to portray certain families as being representative of the Muslim narrative in America, and then to basically feed into this balkanization of our mindset. So Samantha Schmidt of the New York Times ran a piece this week, October 25th, 2016, that said, I had a scary dream about Donald Trump. Muslim parents face a tense election. And, you know, you read this and they start by talking about the 13-year-old Abu Bakr al-Sharfa and his sister Maria, seven years old, not far from their home on Staten Island. The siblings are part of a Muslim family living in the largely Republican borough. Bilal al-Sharfa was the father, was pouring his cereal for his children before school when the seven-year-old daughter, Maria, walked into the kitchen calling him, Baba, I had a scary dream, she said, hugging him about, about Donald Trump. Now, mind you, we are then led into this few thousand-word narrative about an innocent family that's torn apart by the evil of a Republican candidate for president. Now, you really think this seven-year-old is paying attention to politics, or was she being brainwashed by her parents? And and I think this is the bigger story, is that on the one hand, the left criticizes the fear-mongering on the right that does exist, and some of the bigotry that may exist towards Muslims, and exaggeration of some of the threats that may be there. But for all the exaggeration on the right of the threats, it only is paled in comparison to the minimization and appeasement and the ignorance about Islamism on the left, the exploitation of Muslim families, of the Muslim identity in America by the left in order to check the card that they not only protect minorities, but they use it as a petard to label the right as bigots. And they do it at the expense of Muslim children. So this seven-year-old Maria Mariel Sharfa and her father and parents discuss how they, at the, the story ends with them saying, oh, we should have named our kids Tony and George because of how abused and ridiculed and bigotry there is in the schools. The mother laments about how she pushes them to wear the hijab, but they don't want to stick out as sore thumbs. Forget the fact that again, Muslims are pushed into being represented by those who choose to wear the orthodox hijab. And as I've told you before in this program, uh, there's a legitimate argument within Islam whether the hijab is mandated or not. Neither side of the argument is more Muslim than the other. It's just different choices of practice. But yet... The representative of Muslims are those who are more orthodox, fundamentalist, and extreme in their interpretations, and that somehow those who don't appear physically on the outside to be wearing 
some badge of Islam on them, are somehow less Muslim and less representative in the narratives. That somehow the victims, the Muslim victims, or as Ezra Nomani calls them, the wound collectors of our community, are only the fundamentalists who choose to wear hijab, who feel that if you don't wear it, you're not practicing, and the parents who tell their kids you're less Muslim if you don't wear the hijab. Oh, and by the way, this evil tyrant that may be coming into the White House in this country that hates Muslims is going to give you nightmares and wake you up like the devil does, shaitan. And that's what this story in the New York Times is about, is that they waste the news that supposedly fit the print about the kid who's seven who knows nothing about politics but what's brainwashed from her parents, that he was so mean to us. He had a scary face like a zombie or something, the New York Times says. Don't worry, he told his daughter. It's just talk. He's just talk. And there's a picture of him tucking her in. Seriously? Th this this is the narrative about American Muslim fathers now? As we have Muslims being radicalized? At 17, 18, a 20-year-old girl decides from Alabama to go to ISIS and the parents aren't being asked what they're telling their kids? No, at somehow some brain tumor or virus that got into her brain had nothing to do with the familial climate or the intolerance or Wahhabism that's being taught or Salafism for that matter. Nobody really cares what those terms mean. But the narrative on page after page, it's not like they're ignoring the Muslim issue. But the narrative is about Muslims as victims. The narrative is about not how a 17, 18-year-old girl can all of a sudden decide to escape and try to join ISIS, only to be stopped by the FBI in a Birmingham airport, or a Colorado 23-year-old nurse that decides to join ISIS a few years ago and fight in Syria and become part of the sex slaves of ISIS and then write online that she had wished she had never done so. No, that's not the narrative we should be talking about. What is it that gets them on that slippery slope? What is the intoxicant that begins radicalizing these individuals? No, no, that's not the narrative. The narrative is really that we are victims of this mean monster, Mr. Trump. And that's all the left wants to hear about because their goal is to exploit every opportunity possible, including using a Muslim family and a Muslim girl to epitomize how evil the Republican candidate is. This is what plagues our society. Now, we're not teaching our Muslim youth that it doesn't matter what the, that, that ultimately, yes, the president has a lot of influence, but this is not the Middle East dictatorship. We have a separation of powers that a president who may choose to try to go south of the Constitution will have a check and balance upon his power, including a media, including a Supreme Court, including a House and a Senate, and that ultimately he could be impeached and that there is nothing 
that can weaken this great America. Americanism will keep us strong and that I believe the the greatest challenge to our unity, to our sovereignty, is this exploitation of balkanization in order to defeat the other party. Each party has its major pathologies. And again, that's why this year I'm left without a candidate to endorse, almost like trying to pick which level of Dante's Inferno. But I don't sit in front of my dinner table and tell my kids that if Trump gets elected, it will be a nightmare. No, this country will rise above any one man. When we come back, we'll talk more about the frightening nature of what the left does to our kids. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Reaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Reaching the fault lines of today, this is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another segment of Reform This. This week on the Blaze Radio Network, it's great to be with you, and we're talking about how the left has often exploited specific stories within Muslim families in order to use it for political one-upsmanship. And I think there's nothing more toxic, more enabling, and more facilitative towards Islamist globalist movements that are part of the caliphate ideology, that are part of Sharia supremacism, than the left's attempt to personalize and pull at the heartstrings, that bleeding heart liberal sense that ultimately if we can make a Muslim child who's seven appear to be suffering from a political candidate, that that will teach America something. Forget what it does to Muslims. Forget the role that American Muslims should play in reform globally against ISIS, against theocratic Islam or Islamism and its role in dictatorships from Egypt to Syria to Saudi Arabia. Forget the role that Americanism could play in global anti-Islamist reforms. No. The New York Times, courtesy of Samantha Schmidt this week and next week others, and we'll talk next segment about Facebook and social media empowerment of Islamist narratives. 
that all doesn't matter because at the end of the day, all that matters is clicks and eyeballs that are all about Muslims as victims. Because 54% of Americans have not met Muslims. So therefore, if we can take this minority and make it appear to be vulnerable and victimized, forget the fact that still statistically there are more, something like two to three times more anti-Semitic acts committed against Jews than against Muslims. Yes, there's been a greater increase of acts against Muslims, but as I've said before on this program, the best way to fight bigotry against Muslims is for Americans to see Muslims leading the charge to protect this great nation. That if they see us lead the charge and admit complicity in an ideology of Islamism that we have sat on our hands and not reform, and admit to the American people and to the West that the organization of Islamic cooperation is the trough from which Islamist groups from Muslim Brotherhood to Hamas to Al-Qaeda to Islam, Jamaat, Islami, and ISIS sprout, and that we should work to reform the Sharia texts and the interpretations of Quran and Hadith that drive these radicalizations and movements, that the bigotry, the fear, the phobia, I won't call it Islamophobia, but the phobia, it's not even a phobia because it's not an irrational fear, it's a rational fear of the unknown, will not go away. Samantha Schmidt, in her hemorrhagically, her cardiac hemorrhage or bleeding heart piece about this Muslim family says, they cannot defend themselves, the father said, about Maria and Zainab, her nine-year-old sister. They're still young. And she says, across the country, Muslim parents have been facing moments every day, riding each tumultuous wave of the news cycle, including calls to ban Muslims, and they're afraid they're going to be kicked out of this country. And even as some Muslim parents try to shelter their children from the news, they cannot prevent them from hearing hurtful words at the classrooms. Their children come home asking why a classmate said Mr. Trump, the Republican nominee, wants to kick their family out of the country. Actually, it wasn't Mr. Trump that said that. Uh, Newt Gingrich suggested that uh, on Fox News until... Ultimately, people reminded him and others that the Constitution protects citizens, and we have many groups like the Nazis and others that carry ideas that are unconstitutional, but unless they commit acts of violence, those ideas are protected through the antiseptic of sunlight. Yes, we should prevent anyone who doesn't agree with our Constitution and our way of life from coming into this country as refugees or political asylum seekers, but once they become citizens, if they somehow no longer carry the ideas of Americanism, or we didn't vet them, or we allowed somehow with our eyes closed for agents of foreign states to come in, then we have to figure out another way to keep our security, and at least prevent them from getting security clearances. But the New York Times doesn't get into that. This piece doesn't get into any of that. Muslims are simply the believers of some... It's, it's amazing. The left racializes the identity of American Muslims. The left 
makes being Muslim into skin color, into ethnicity, things that are unchangeable, that are fixed, that are genetic or based on historical familiar roots. But being Muslim is a choice. It is an ideology. So it should be open to criticism, just like being a liberal or being a conservative. So what I don't understand is that the identity politic has racialized Islam, has racialized Muslims to the point of allowing the petro-Islamist lobbies of Saudi Arabia and Qatar and others to speak for our faith community. And how can we get the voices of reform against these entrenched billionaire petro-Islamist movements that are fed by a few tribes but ultimately feed grassroots viral movements of Muslim Brotherhood ideas that can get up to 30-40% of our population because of their penetration and their monopoly on the platforms? when the left continues to use narratives, heart-wrenching narratives about children unable to sleep because of fears of the Republican anti-Muslim candidate that wants to ban. And, you know, listen, I was critical from day one of this ban of Muslims saying that it should have been ban of Islamists, ban of jihadists, but not to say Muslims because it's reckless and because it would be used not by ISIS, as Hillary said. I don't care what ISIS thinks. They're going to hate us no matter what. But because it would be used by the left, by the left to malign conservatism, to malign Americanism, to feed into the Islamist mantra that Muslims are victims and circle in that drain of self-loathing that is the hate of Americanism, which belies, which is part of the left's identity movements. And sure enough, it's been used over and over and over. And we conservatives that may not support Trump, but love this country and believe in a national security platform that declares Islamic states the evil empire, believe that this blindness this willful blindness of the left, as Andy McCarthy and others have called it, this exploitation of our families and our children for political one-upsmanship is one of the primary, primary obstacles in our reform work. When I come back, we'll continue to talk about the left's heart-wrenching narratives and what we can do to transform that and how one would think that social media would be the place to do it, but it unfortunately has not been. Again, because of saturation. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. 
Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Radio Network On Demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Your faithful American patriot, Muslim, was ready to take on the core issues, the need for reform, the need to defend America against political Islam and its ideology, not just the tactic of terrorism, but political Islam and its ideology. You know, this narrative about this poor, suffering family. When you talk about it, it appears that somehow I'm trying to, some will make it appear that I'm trying to minimize some of the plight of Muslims against bigotry. And yes, there's even been some attacks by bigots against Muslims, uh, some arson against mosques and others. But still, again, the numbers pale in comparison to attacks against Jews, and there are other communities who are also attacked by xenophobia, z- z- uh, xenophobes. But the issue here has to do with proportionalism. When the bandwidth of the media attention exaggerates stories like this family's and then uses it over and over to show and prove how evil the right is, you can't help but, listen, we have to talk about this. Because I, as an American Muslim that loves my faith, where are the stories, if we're going to have stories like this, saying that Mr. Trump is evil and that a seven-year-old girl is going to have nightmares and they can't go to school and they're ridiculed, they can't wear the hijab, they should call themselves Tony and not Abdul. Where are the stories about how my children should be worried about the devil of the king of Saudi Arabia tucking them in at night and threatening to behead their parents and behead their families because they speak out their minds of freedom that is used and empowered by the proxy that the White House and the State Department has become under the Obama presidency and under a Clinton presidency. Where are the stories about Muslim families that are missing their families from the gassing of the Assad regime that has been left alone by the Hillary State Department and likely a Hillary presidency or the Khomeinists that have armed and slaughtered many of our families? That's, I think, enough for many nightmares and stories about nightmarish kids, Muslim kids, Sunni Muslim kids that are being left orphans by the Russian military and the Khomeinists, the Iranian military. That's worth a few thousand word stories in the Washington Post or the New York Times or the New York Magazine. No, we don't see any of that because that would then expose the complicity of a Clinton Foundation, a Hillary Clinton State Department that took $12 million from Morocco, that took $20, $30 million from Saudi Arabia, that treats women as fourth-class citizens, treats rape victims as the criminals because they were alone with a man. How many nightmares of girls and women that have suffered from female genital mutilation, from an inability to work, 
and sustain themselves in dependency upon their husbands, their brothers, or their uncles, or their fathers. No, none of that leads to any nightmares. And, you know, listen, I'm not saying, again, to stop the criticism of Mr. Trump. There are things in his candidacy that are beyond flawed. But balance it and put in the bandwidth a responsibility of Muslims to primarily lead this reform effort, a responsibility of Muslims to not be victims. And the facts that the hijab-wearing fundamentalists are not the only representatives of Islam. The siege mentality that they feed from the left is what radicalizes Muslims, is what makes these groups then feed into the narrative that is all over Al Jazeera and Press TV and Iran, Al Jazeera and Qatar, which is a brotherhood bastion that WikiLeaks now shows not over 90% are Muslim Brotherhood, by the way. Saudi media, Egyptian media, which portray America as anti-Muslim. The left feeds into that willfully because it helps their electoral politic. This media is more like Middle Eastern propaganda, exploiting a faith, exploiting a balkanized neighborhood, tribe in order to push home the point that the other tribe, the conservatives, if they win, will be evil. The left complains that Trump incites violence, yet the vice president, Biden, in a speech threatened to take him out back in the gym and brawl with him because of the way he treats, talks about women. So now what do I tell my children? And this is I think the upshot of this whole conversation that, well, Mr. Trump's discourse and history and lack of accuracy is inappropriate. But when Mr. Biden, Vice President Biden, threatens to take him out back and pummel him and beat him up, that's okay for the left to do that. Or if they ignore, if the left ignores the fact that they take millions upon millions from governments that truly, not just words and callousness in their comments, but actually in point of fact are tyrannical dictatorships, are proven so, that somehow that's not supposed to engender fear about our government working with anti-Muslim self-hating Muslim leaders like the king of Saudi Arabia or the supreme leader of Iran. No. This is where we're stuck. The only way out is to get beyond the identity politic. We have to begin to do that. We have to enter a time in which the new cycle is not about one and each side using the Muslim minority for their own self-serving partisan interests, but rather to push a narrative that Muslims are diverse ideologically, we're not all about victims, we're not under siege, and we want to own our own future. As Americans, an anti-Islamist, those are values that the left shares. 
The New York Times, which happened to last week publish this piece defending Wahhabism, which we talked about. The left supposedly shares values of feminism, of gay rights, sexual identification of choice, pro-choice, and other aspects that are considered to be anathemas to the right. And yet the right, by holding us accountable on these issues and rejecting the victimization of Muslims, but rather asking that they show diverse opinions and call out Mr. Trump on his ideas rather than demonization of the candidate and exploitation of children. And that's what this is all about. When we come back in my last segment this week, I want to talk to you about a little heard story that wasn't Facebook, but highlighted a discussion of how the vetting of ideas across one of the most influential mediums on the planet today decides what is hate speech and what is not. And this time it went all the way up to Mr. Zuckerberg. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. We'll be right back. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. Coming up today on Pat and Stu. Say, hey, Jeffy, you need to lose weight. And we say, you know what, Jeffy, you're too, you're overweight and you need to lose some pounds. Imagine that that would happen. Something like that would happen. Crazy hypothetical. We say, Jeffy, you're fat. And we say, you know what, you need to do uh, simple to lose. you got to do simple to lose. you got to go with Metafast. you got to do it. And you said, you know what, I agree I need to lose weight. That's why I'm going on an all-Twinkie diet. Pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to the last segment this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. I'm always glad to be with you. Thank you for subscribing. And if you're new, please subscribe. Please join us every week as we talk about those issues that you won't hear anywhere else. From a reformist Muslim that demands, that challenges, that asks that my community that Muslims begin to address the root cause of radical Islam, which is theocratic Islam or political Islam. You know, we talked about the New York Times. Some people dismiss them as sort of irrelevant because people just aren't reading newspapers anymore. They're getting all their information online. Some of that may be true, but the bottom line is, is that these arms of the media and the New York Times is probably the equivalent of... Uh, you know, Fox News for conservatives, uh, New York Times for liberals, and does shape and influence policy. Now, it's interesting that there are major decisions made at Facebook regarding what is kept online and what is not, to the point in which conservatives last year were complaining significantly, and that led to a closed-door meeting with a broad spectrum of conservative voices that met with the leadership of Facebook to try to see what can be done to ameliorate the sense of imbalance from the left on social media and especially on Facebook on what's allowed and what's not. 
And I would imagine this is partly due to free markets. Facebook was concerned that just like we saw with Fox News, where you had a whole new arm of the media created because the mainstream media was only covering one side of the viewpoints. And I think Facebook needed to look and see how to allow, how to continue to engage conservatives who are beginning more and more to feel that censorship against their ideas, bias against their ideas was becoming palpable and significant to the point that that meeting occurred. Fast forward to this week and the and the Washington and the uh, Wall Street Journal then talks about how Trump's posts or posts on Facebook fuel discord in the Facebook ranks. And there was an intense debate going on, as the Wall Street Journal reported this week over the past year, with some employees arguing that the posts, especially the ones about banning Muslims from entering the U.S., should be removed for violating the site's rules on hate speech, according to people familiar with the matter. And it went all the way up to Chief Executive Mark Zuckerberg, who ruled in December that it would be inappropriate to censor the candidate, according to the people familiar with the matter. And that wasn't the end of it. He then had to deal with many employees who complained on Facebook's internal messaging service and in person to him and other managers that it was bending the site's rules for Trump that they wouldn't allow anyone else to do. Ding dong. That shows that Mr. Trump got actually special treatment by allowing his post to stay and that many conservatives have their posts removed because it's felt to be against Muslims. Now, you can call it what you will, but there are thousands and thousands of anti-Israel posts that are never removed. And yet, Palestinians also post vicious stuff that are anti-Semitic, that are not removed. And yet, so many posts about the Palestinian cause that are hateful, posts about the West by radical Islamists, Hamas supporters are left on and not brought down. So why is that bias? Well, the nuggets in this piece. Why is this bias that turns a blind eye to Islamism? But we don't see that on any other ideology, be it Americanism, be it politicians, be it pro-Israel posts and other non-Muslim issues. Well, in this piece further, it says that senior members of Facebook's policy team posted more details on the policy. They were going to begin allowing more items that people find newsworthy, significant, or important to the public interest, even if they might otherwise violate our standards. So, there was even a discussion about one of the Facebook seniors that had donated $1.25 million to Mr. Trump, Peter Thiel. So, Mr. Zuckerberg urged tolerance. Now, there's a capitalist reason, which is Facebook stands to collect $300 million 
and campaign online ads during the campaign process. So, obviously, balance is not only something that's ethical, but capitalistically demanded. 44% of Americans, according to the Wall Street Journal, get at least some of their news from Facebook, according to Pew Research. And yet the company brands itself as being neutral. The rules have tightened recently. Now, I think at the end of the day, users flagged the December content as hate speech, a move that triggered a review by Facebook's community operations team with hundreds of employees in several offices worldwide. Some Facebook employees said in internal chat rooms that the post broke Facebook's rules on hate speech. Content viewers were asked by their managers not to remove the post. During one of Zuckerberg's weekly town hall meetings in late January at their California headquarters, a Muslim employee asked how the executive could condone Mr. Trump's comments. Zuckerberg acknowledged that Trump's call for a ban did qualify as hate speech, but he said that the implications were too drastic to remove them. But others, including Muslim employees at Facebook, were upset that the platform would make an exception. And here's the key. In Dublin, Ireland, where many of Facebook's content reviewers work, more than a dozen Muslim employees met with their managers to discuss the policy. According to another person familiar with the matter, some created internal Facebook groups protesting the decision while others threatened to leave. So, wait, you know, stop the presses. There is a, and, and I've had this brought to my attention by another, a number of anti-jihadists in this work. We talk about Muslims influencing the administration that happened to be on an assistant board for Homeland Security that don't have security clearances. What is the impact in the war of ideas of a platform that has somewhere upwards between 500 million and 1 billion subscribers globally that has this little cohort of Muslim reviewers? Now, there's nothing about ideology written in this report, but I'm ready to bet you dollars to donuts or real to baklava that the majority of those guys are men and Islamists. That they're not reformists, they're not liberal women, feminists, that they're not word warriors for freedom and liberty, and the key is that they're not diverse. Fine, they want to have a few Islamists, have to be reflecting of the general Muslim population, but it's not. The Petra-Islamists, I'm sure, because of their money, were better represented in the initial investments of Facebook and their spread, as we saw now with Uber. Opens in Saudi Arabia with David Pluff getting billions from the Saudis. This is where the war is coming to a halt. This is where the voices of Islam, of reformists, are being suffocated. We have no future unless these things 
are brought out even further from being just that last paragraph in a Wall Street Journal report on Facebook to daily pounding Facebook by reports that expose the fact that there are decisions being made online across the world to suppress ideas by Muslims who call things hate, who call things anti-Islam that are in fact likely pro-Muslim and pro-Islam by Islamists that want nothing to do with theocracy. But we will never know. All we know is that there's 12 or 15 Muslims in Dublin who do a lot of the screening on Islamic issues. Who are these guys? I want to know. I want to know what they use as filters. And ideally, there should be none. Now, obviously, pornography isn't permitted. Certain things will need to prevent, prevented to prevent sort of online violent speech, if you will, because that the radicals have used social media to promote bomb making and other things that are not part of free speech. But hate speech, you can only douse it from its fire when we know it's there and when we see it. So listen, as you go through the next week, I ask you, Let's figure out who these guys are. Let's hold Facebook, social media accountable, just like we hold our governments, we hold our universities, we hold our media accountable to the funders, to the ideologies that they hold, and we hold them accountable to being diverse from left to right, from liberal to conservative, from fundamentalist to secular. Ask them if they're getting the ideas of the Muslim reform movement empowered. Empowered in our two-page declaration. And at least preferred from the fundamentalist Salafi ideas that seem to dominate the representation. If you talk to the Saudis, even the government will tell you that 80 to 90% of the Twitter and Facebook traffic in Saudi Arabia is Wahhabi and Salafi fundamentalists. That is a problem. So I would think that the screeners at Facebook likely come from that side of the spectrum. And the reason is, is the governments there are more threatened as much as they claim to be the firefighters. They also are the arsonists because they claim to be threatened by the radicals, but they're much more threatened by moderate liberals because that could unite society against them much more quickly if it ever had any traction. Thank you again for joining me on Reform This. Come back next week. Subscribe. This is the place where you can find the ideas that will guide our policy, domestic and abroad, in focusing like a laser on how to come together in national sovereignty to focus on the threat, the greatest threat of the 21st century, political Islam. Your faithful Reform This host, Zudi Jasser, will be back next week. Thanks. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.